man, our worship team is on fire the last couple of weeks. I mean, you're always good, but man, thank you guys. That was awesome. Um, if I mess up the sermon, that's all on me now because they've set me up just like they should. Well, uh, we are, have been talking about discipleship here and during the morning service, during the sermons, but we have also, our discipleship team has been meeting weekly uh, for a few months now, trying to determine uh, what do we be- believe biblically, what does the Bible say that discipleship is, and we came up with a definition, uh, and we have shown you uh, the details of how we came up with that definition, and if you want, that is available on our um, website, www.mansfieldfbc.com backslash make disciples. And so uh, what we're doing now is each week we're talking a little bit more about discipleship. We're seeing how that plays out. And the, the definition that we came up with is that disciples are transformed followers of Jesus committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. And so as we are making disciples who fit this bill, as we are making disciples who make disciples, um, then we are going to become a church who not only is able to meet the needs of those within our congregation, uh, but we're going to be a, a congregation who reaches out and who, and we're already that congregation, but we'll be doing an even better job of it. And so some of you have been faithful disciples that fit this definition for a long time, and others of you are just now learning your responsibilities as a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and a couple of years ago, we broke this down into a few sermons and looked at some specific things. But today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at several verses um, all in one sitting and let's see what the scripture says to us about being a follower of Jesus. I want to give you a, uh, a heads up that the first part of the sermon will help us transition from last week into what we're going to be talking about, uh, the specific things that we'll be talking about this week. And so, with that said, um, I, I do want to go ahead and spoil the sermon for you and let you know where this is going to end. I hope that this ends with you being encouraged me being encouraged to keep going, to keep on keeping on, to continue our pursuit of Jesus and following him with all of our heart. And the reason that we're going to be talking about this and the reason that I hope that you already believe this, and if not, that you will um, grab on to this truth by faith this morning, is because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. So keep going. He's worth it is the sermon this morning. And we're going to be looking at Philippians 3, verses 4 through 16. And if we have time, we might look at a couple of extra verses, uh, but knowing me, we probably won't. So um, in the beginning of Philippians chapter 3, a lot of what uh, Paul is talking about to the church of Philippi in this letter is that he wants them unified. He wants them believing the truth of God's word, meaning the Old Testament, and then what has been passed down to them through the apostles and, uh, and, and others, and the truths that they need to be holding on to, and yet there are these people who have been coming into their mix and teaching them false teaching. They've basically been teaching them that if you really want to be saved, if you really want to go to heaven one day, whatever the case is of what they were trying to uh, 
teach them, then uh, you have to do all these works. You have to follow the Jewish customs. You have to do some customs that were added by Pharisees at a later date. You have to do all these things, and if you do all those things, then you can be saved. However, that's a problem, right? Because that does not match up with what we learn in the Bible about salvation. Uh, Paul himself teaches that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, right? It's not by works. None of us can boast. This isn't something that we did on our own. This it is by grace. It's not, it's not something we earned. It's a gift. And so uh, with that said, Paul is um, really blunt about the people who are trying to deceive them. And then we're going to pick up in verse 4, and he's going to be talking about, hey, those people who tell you have, you have to do all these things, they're doing it for their own gain. And then he, in verse 4, we pick up with this, saying that he had no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Basically, what he's saying here is if you want to play this game of, you know, here are the things that make you righteous. Here, if you do this and this and this and this, this will make you righteous. If you want to play that game, then Paul says, here's what I've got going for me in, according to your standards. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, Paul's not being conceited here. He's trying to make a point. And, and so hear him out. Verse 5. They circumcised on the eighth day, which was a Jewish thing, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He, so he goes on and he na names all these things. I've got this thing going for me and this thing going for me, that if you were Jewish and you were a religious leader, these things were very special and very important. And he has all these things going for him. But let's see how he feels about all of his accolades and his rank within the system. Let's see how he feels about it. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So we're seeing a couple of different things here, and I want to break this down for us. In the first part of this chapter, he begins to talk about those who um, are against truth and teaching their own false teachings and in that he says that if we were living by their standards then I should be their leader because listen to what I did according to the law according to the works that they say we have to keep up he was like I was the person I was the poster boy for this movement and I had it all and I want to stop there before we move on to him counting it as garbage because a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, this is what we do in our lives. We, we try, I literally just heard someone this past week say about an older person who was not a nice person when they were younger, but became nice in their older age. And they said he was trying to earn his way into heaven. Now, is there a flaw in that statement? Yes. We cannot earn our way into heaven. 
heaven, a relationship with Jesus, is, is not something we can ever deserve. It's always a gift. It's always by grace. It's only by the love of God that he sent his son to die for us. And it's only by the blood of his son. It's only through a relationship with his son. It's only by the forgiveness of our sins through his son that we can have a relationship with God, that we can one day be in heaven, according to God's word, which I believe. And so the first thing I want us to make sure that we understand is, is that our righteousness, our works, our status in this life, none of it will get us into heaven. Where we're born, the family we're born into, it doesn't matter. It, that, those things will not get us into heaven. Now, is where we born, um, where we are born, is that uh, a benefit to us at times? Absolutely. We were born in a place where the name of Jesus is, is taught openly. And so that's a benefit. And that affects things. And there are people who are born in countries where it's illegal to speak the name of Jesus. And so we have a responsibility, according to God's word, to, to get his truth, to get the gospel, the good news to them. But being, where you were born does make a difference. But does being born in Mansfield or Arkansas or the United States, does that save you? No. Does that automatically qualify you, um, or not qualify you, but does that automatically give you a relationship with God? No. You might grow up hearing about him. You might grow up knowing some truth. But there's nothing that we can do to earn a relationship with God. We have to have faith in him. We have to put trust in him. It's not going to be something given to us by status or where we're born. or We're not going to be able to earn it. None of that stuff is going to work. And that's the point that Paul is making here. Paul is saying, if you could earn it, I would have earned it. I was doing everything according to the law. And now, that probably wasn't true, but within the way they thought about it, within the system of their religion, it was true. And so, how many of us, how many people do we see? And, and I'm not trying to say this is you, right? Sandra, you're on the front row, so I'm going to pick on you. So I'm not going to say it's you, Sandra, that you believe this. But I think that we all have to examine our hearts to make sure that we're not leaning on our own works or our own status or the faith of our parents in order to get us into heaven. Because if we are, we're going to be disappointed. We have to, for ourselves, go to God, stand before him, and one day we will be judged. And when we are judged, and he asks us, you know, why he should let us into heaven, the only answer that biblically suffices is, I know your son. I put my faith in him. He saved me. I've been born again. I'm a transformed follower of Jesus, committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. I have a relationship with you. I've been transformed. That's the only answer that will suffice. And so Paul is having a battle against that because he was in a culture where they said, no, that's not how you get saved. It's not, it's not by faith. It's by works. Here are the, sure, believe in God, but here are the works that you have to add to it. Do this, go to church, you know, all these cultural things that they had. Now, in our culture, we still have some of that. I've heard 
I cannot tell you how many people I've heard say, I want to make sure I'm in heaven, so I'm going to go to church. Well, going to church is a good thing, and you should not neglect the gathering together of the saints. However, does going to church save you? No. Uh, I read my Bible because I want to make sure I get into heaven. I've literally heard these things come out of people's mouths. Reading your Bible is a phenomenal thing that can lead to your salvation. Reading your Bible is a phenomenal thing that can lead to spiritual growth that you never dreamed would occur in your life. Will reading your Bible in and of itself save you? Just because you read your Bible, does that equal salvation? No. There are people who memorize entire sections of, of the Bible. That doesn't mean they're saved. Okay. We have to be careful about where we're investing ourselves and our beliefs in the area of salvation. There is no work you can do that will save you except the work of faith. In John 6, Jesus, the, the crowds come to him and, and ask him, well, what work must we do to be saved? So uh, here, the question's already messed up <laughs> because there is no work. But Jesus plays their game, as he does a lot, and he says, the, the work that you must do is believe, have faith. Well, that wasn't a good enough answer for them. They didn't like that, but... Jesus' point is, is that there is no work that saves you. The work that saves you is what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing, no work you can do can save you. And so we put our faith in Jesus. And so the first thing we have to realize here in Philippians 3 is that if Paul's works wouldn't save him, our works won't save us. And this is clear throughout the New Testament. The second thing I want us to realize here, in Paul saying, I had it all, I mean, he was respected among his peers. He was, I think he called himself, let's see, a Hebrew of the Hebrews in verse 5. And so he was respected among his peers because he kept the rules. He did the works necessary, according to their thought, to be saved, to be righteous. But those works didn't lead to righteousness. And all the things that he did, all the respect that he had, all the status, all, the, all that came with that, he counted it as garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Let me give you an example of this. There was a time in my life before I had a steak cooked by Danielle Godwin. And I used to, man, steak, steak is good. But then you have a Danielle Godwin steak, and it's just, it's, I mean, it can't compare. So now I go to a restaurant and, and get a steak, and I just... I dream about the days that I ate that, that steak that Daniel Godwin cooked. There was a time in my life where I had poppy seed chicken, and I wasn't like a huge fan of it, but you know, it was good. I'd eat it. I'd eat anything. So you know. And then I had uh, uh, Rose's poppy seed chicken. And if you're, we don't even cook it for guests a lot of times because I don't want to share it. 
she makes it in a pan this big, but I'll eat it for four days until it's gone. It's so good. And now I don't want anybody else's poppy seed chicken because it can't compare to Rose's. Here's the point I'm making, is that your system to get into heaven, you might think it's working for you. You might think that life is good living by these rules. You may think that life is good living by your philosophy about what will get you into heaven, about what will make you right with God. But once you meet Jesus, once you truly experience him and a relationship with him, you can't go back to that other stuff. None of that stuff can compare to the real thing. It just, it just doesn't. And if I, if I have to explain to you what I'm talking about right now, then, now let me be clear here, not because of my silly illustrations, but if you don't understand what it means to truly love Jesus, if you don't understand what it means to just be in his presence and know that nothing else before this was right. To know that now you have him. Then I think that it's an appropriate thing to do to examine your heart and to ask God to examine your heart whether you have a relationship with him at all. Because when we have Jesus, when we enter into a relationship with him, he changes everything. It, for some people... That change is instantaneous. We see so much happen and so much change in their life right in that one moment when, when they follow him. And for other people, we see it as a progressive thing, as, as you know, he is um, sanctifying them and making them more and more into his image. And even with the people where a bunch of change happens all at once, there should still continue to be that slow sanctification process as they follow Jesus day by day. But if we can't remember a time in our life where we had a relationship with Jesus, where we know for certain that we were in right fellowship and relationship with him, then I think it is safe for us to question, have we ever had a relationship with him? Because I believe once we're saved, we're saved. I don't think that's something we lose. I think it's one of those things where we can think we're saved because we were following rules that we thought equaled salvation and we didn't and we never did have that relationship in the first place because we were going by the wrong rules, we were playing the wrong game. I think we, there are times when people can think they're saved. I think Jesus made that clear. He said people are going to come to him at the end and say, "Lord, Lord, we did these things in your name." And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never, never knew you. Not I knew you, but then I forgot you, or I didn't know you any longer. I never knew you. So I think that there is a chance for us, if we're not careful, if we're playing by the wrong rules, as these people that Paul was preaching against were doing, that we can think we have a relationship with God, and we don't. And so where do you stand? I'm not trying to make anyone in here who is truly saved doubt your salvation. If you have a relationship with God, then praise God. Praise God that he has saved you. Praise God that you have experienced this new life, that you, have ex that you can look at the other things and say it's garbage. It's garbage. Compared to knowing Jesus, it's garbage. And so whatever gain Paul had, he counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
And so that's what we have to do. We have to have such a relationship with Jesus. We have to be so in love with Jesus that when we look at all the temptations of this world, it's garbage compared to knowing Christ. When we look at the suffering that we have to go through, okay. I'm not saying I'm happy about it, but look, if this is what knowing, if this is going to help me know Christ more, if this is going to help me serve him more, if this is going to help me glorify him more or reflect him like the moon reflects the sun, if this is going to help me show his glory more, then, then God help me. Help me to persevere through this. Help me to get through this. And so this is where Paul was. As he had lived the life and played by the rules of the culture, and he knew it was empty. It was meaningless. Do y'all remember what Paul was on his way, or maybe I should say Saul, Saul became Paul, he changed his name. But do y'all remember what Saul was on his way to do when Jesus showed up to him? What was he on his way to do? Someone tell me. Yeah, persecute Christians, drag the parents out of the home, arrest them, or worse. Right before this, we're reading that he's holding the coats as Stephen is being killed, one of the early deacons in the church. And he's on his way to persecute more Christians, and Jesus shows up, And he says, who are you, Lord? He knew who it was. He knew who it was. And Jesus says, it's me who you're persecuting. Was Paul's life ever the same after that? No. In fact, all the stuff Paul had going for him, he went from being the one with the saddest doing the persecuting to being the one being persecuted. And it was worth it to him. It was worth it because he had Jesus. Compared to Jesus, everything else is garbage. It's like my taste buds trying to taste a steak at Outback after Daniel and Levi invited us over the house and cooked us that steak. It's just not the same. It's like trying to eat like poppy seed chicken from a restaurant now. It just tastes like pudding with poppy seeds in it. It's like, what is this? It's not even right. Because I've had Rose's poppy seed chicken. And living by the law or living by my own rules, when I catch myself doing that, what am I doing when I have Jesus? And so is that the way you see it? Is that your experience with Christ? All right, we got to continue. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. So the words here are a little confusing because he's talking to people and he wants to put it in a way that they will understand it. And and they understand righteousness as something that you get as you do better and as you obey the word. And Paul is about to flip that over and turn it on on its head and say, no, righteousness doesn't come from ourselves or from our actions. Listen to what he says. And so, verse, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's not about the works we do. 
Now, I want to be clear here. I find it very difficult to believe that a person can truly be transformed and have a relationship with Jesus and continue living their life the same way they did before they got saved, without any change, without any love or affection for Jesus. So I want to be clear here that while works do not save us, when we are saved, that should result in works. So I can't do good in order to be saved, but once I put my faith in Jesus and he saves me, then I should do good. Does that make sense? I should follow him, and following him truly means that I will live my life in the way that he has commanded, and because of my salvation that he has worked inside of me, it will work out of me in good works. And so we have to make sure that we understand that we don't adopt a view where we say that, oh yeah, you can believe in God and do whatever you want. All you have to do is say a prayer and get saved and just keep doing whatever you want. All you just say the prayer. That doesn't work. That's not biblical. We don't find that anywhere in Scripture. What we find in Scripture is all we have to do is say a prayer, put our faith in Jesus, call out on, uh, on his name, believe in him for salvation. And when I say believe, I'm saying a faith belief where we believe that he is the son of God and he has been resurrected. We believe the right things in our head, but we also believe in a way where we're becoming his. He is becoming our Lord. There is faith there. And when that occurs in scripture, there are changes. Every time, without fail, people begin to live for God. Now, do people mess up? Do people make mistakes? Do people sin after their salvation? Of course, but they repent. That's what's taught for us to do when we fail after we become a Christian. And so it's very important here that we see that even though we're not saved by works, when we're saved, good works should follow. And the righteousness that depends on faith, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that, that saves us because of what Christ has done for us, that should result in works. And here, let's transition into that in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul's determined purpose, as went on with God says by Jerry and Marilyn Fine, Paul's determined purpose was to know God more. It was to know him. And that should be our determined purpose, that I may know him. We can only love someone to the extent that we know them. And when I first married Rose, you better believe I loved her. I was crazy about her. But does my love now outweigh the love I had for her back then? Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't even have imagined that this type of love is possible. Oh, anyway. The reason I say that is because I didn't know the hardships we would go through together. I didn't know the victories we would go through together. I didn't know how living life with someone in that way can help you to know them more and to love them more. And Paul is saying that yes, he's saved. Yes, he has received the righteousness that comes from God through faith. Yes, he's been born again. But his purpose now that that has occurred is to know him even more. 
that I may know him. And know him how? In the power of his resurrection. Is that some power? The power that can bring someone back from the dead who has been crucified? That's power. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. But we don't just know Jesus through power and through good things and through victory. We also know him through suffering. I mean, some of the the most intimate and extreme growth that has taken place in my life has come directly because of suffering that God has allowed me to go through and has walked through with me or carried me through it. There are things that have happened to me in my life that I wish they never would have happened. But at the same time, I'm glad they did. Because God used them to help me know him more. And the more I know him, the more I can love him. And it's our job to become like him in his death. That we are to put our desires, and this harkens back to last week's sermon, when we talked about if we're going to come after him, we have to take up our cross, right? We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And, and, and here in Philippians 3.10, We have to be willing to follow him anywhere, even to death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This isn't saying he earns it. He's already said he does. It's not something he can earn. He's just saying that he will follow God wherever, whenever, and that is evidence of his salvation, and that it's going to end in, of course, for all of us who put our faith in him, resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. So if our first thing is in this sermon that we realize that our righteousness can't save us, our works, our status, our money, none of that matters when it comes to to having a relationship with Jesus, getting into heaven, none of that matters. The second thing we see is that compared to Jesus, everything else is garbage. The third thing we see is that we need to make our purpose to know him more. If we have a relationship with him, let's make our purpose to know him more. And we can only know someone, love someone to the extent that we know them, so let's know him more so we can love him more. And then the fourth thing that we're about to see in the scripture is that it's our job to persevere. It's our job to keep going because he's worth it. Remember the title of the sermon. Keep going because he's worth it. So let's look at what Paul says. You know, has he, has he attained this? Is he, um, now that he has a relationship with God and he's saved, has he already, does he already know God to the full extent that he should? Is, does he already understand the power of his res- resurrection to the full extent? Has he shared his sufferings to the ultimate extent, even to death? Let's, let's see what he says here in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why do we need to know God more? Why do we need to persevere in the midst of suffering? Why do we need to be the people who God has called us to be? Well, if we're saved, if we truly have a relationship with him, then the answer to that is is because he saved us, because he made us his own. So we press on to make him our own. We press on to make sure that we are obeying him the best we can because we can't help it. If you have been transformed, 
If you have been saved, then there is something inside of you that drives you. That something is God, by the way, the Holy Spirit. But there is something inside of you that drives you to follow him and to live for him wholeheartedly, no matter the cost, no matter what it means for your social status, no matter what it means for your reputation, no matter what it means for your bank account, no matter what it means for your family, no matter what it means, you follow God to to the fullest extent because he has saved us, because he has called us, because he chose us before the foundations of the earth, because he knew that one day we would be born and one day we would have a relationship with him. It didn't catch God by surprise when Adam and Eve sinned. Before he created the world, he knew that was going to happen. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they were there. And we know this because in, the Bible teaches it many times. But in Genesis 1.26, we see God say, let us make man in our image. Well, who is us? The Trinity. And before they even made man, they knew. God knew that man would sin and that sin would mean that Jesus would have to be born as a man or as a baby who would become a man, that he had to do this. He had to go through this suffering in order to save us, in order to have a relationship with us. He knew before he even created, before he said, let there be light, he knew, he knew, and you were worth it. I was worth it. His elect were worth it. Anyone who calls upon his name was worth it. And so, that's why we press on. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forget the status, forget the good stuff, forget the bad stuff, forget whatever it is that is in your past that has a rope tied around you holding you back from moving forward, forget that. Forget what lies behind, as Paul did. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I press on. I know what awaits me. I know the glory that awaits me. I know the, the presence of God that awaits me. I know the no more tears and the no more suffering that awaits me. I know the crowns of glory that await me, that I will be then turning around and, and glorifying God with. I know what awaits. Therefore, right now, I press on. I press on to be who God has called me to be. And this is what disciples do. They press on. And we need to move past the false teachings of, of our church in general, not, not necessarily Mansfield FBC, although I'm not saying we haven't, but we need to move past the false teachings of the age that say all you have to do is uh, become a Christian and then it's over. You just, just get saved and that's all that's necessary. Well, yeah, if we're, if we're, explain, if we're talking about biblical salvation, then yes, that is true. Because biblical salvation, when the Holy Spirit enters you, then, and, you and Jesus becomes your Lord, then you will live for him. You, there's, you can't help that. God will work that in you. You might be in here this morning and you have seen in your life that you have turned away from God. You have ran away from God, even though you believe that you have a relationship with him. 
well, you're here this morning, and you're hearing this sermon. And if that's the case, I bet God is doing something in your heart right now. I bet he is pulling you back in. I bet that, that he has not left you alone for a minute during this whole time where you've run away from him. Because if you're saved, if you have a relationship with God, he will not let you go. And for those of you in here who don't have a relationship with him, that can change this morning. You can get saved. You can be born again this morning. You can put your faith in God and begin to follow him this morning. And so these are the things that we see. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul is saying, basically, this is how it is. This is truth. This is how we're supposed to be following Jesus. And if you're mature, then you're going to believe these things. You're going to walk in these things. You're going to follow these things. And if you don't believe it, and you're of God, he'll reveal truth to you. You'll see. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to, what, to that what we... Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, for those of you who know truth, who have a relationship with God who are following him, don't give up. Keep going. He's worth it. Keep pressing on. Keep on keeping on. Are there things in your life that maybe you've been slacking on where you know, not in order to earn your salvation, but because you're already saved, you know that you should be living more wholeheartedly for Christ in this area or that area. God God doesn't want us... To, to departmentalize our life and just give him certain sections. He wants it all. He's Lord. He wants it all. And so, my question to you this morning is, where are you in your relationship with Christ, in your walk with him? And I think after hearing this in the scripture, that it should become more clear to us where we stand with him. And so where do you stand? And maybe you have questions about that. Maybe you're unsure. That's where people like me come into play. We can help you to understand what God's word is saying. We can help to to direct you in the right way. But ultimately, it's your choice in living your life the way that God has called you to live it. And so where are you this morning? You respond to God in whatever way he's leading. We're going to have a time of invitation. And during this invitation, I'm going to be standing right down here. And maybe you're in here this morning and you are definitely a Christian. You have been living for God, but you know you need to be more focused. You need to be pressing on toward the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. If that's you, then spend some time in prayer. Maybe you're in here this morning and you believe with all your heart that you are saved, that you have placed your faith in him, but you have strayed from him in some way and you want to get right with him. I'm right here. You can come talk to me or you don't even have to talk to me. You can go straight to God. You can go, you can get on your knees here at the altar or where you're sitting. Whatever God puts on your heart to do, you do it. And you get right with him. You confess your sins to him and you ask him to help you to to go forward. If you do that, though, I think that it's appropriate for accountability. Let someone know what you have done. Let friends know. Let your parents know if, if, if you're a child. Let your loved ones know. Let me know of, the, of what you have done in your life and what God's done in your life. And then for those of you who don't have a relationship with him, that can change this morning. You can put your faith in him this morning. I can help walk you through that. Let us pray, and we'll have our invitation. God, we love you.
And I just pray that during this time of invitation, that you would convict all of our hearts to respond to you in whatever way you're leading. And God, I pray that, that what we read for Paul would be true for us, that we would count all of the other things as garbage because compared to you, that's what they are. Lord, that you would be so big in our lives, that our love for you would be so great, Lord, and so overwhelming that it would lead us to pursue you and follow you with all of our hearts and that we would desire and long to know you and the power of your resurrection and to share in your sufferings, even to death. Lord, that we would follow you no matter the cost and that we would do it joyfully and willingly because you first saved us. You made us your own. And God, I just pray that as we're following and as we're moving, that we would keep going, that we would not give up, that you would give us the courage and the strength that we need day to day to live our lives wholeheartedly for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.